Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Modern Learners Podcast. If you're listening today, it's because you understand we have a real need for change in our schools and that we owe it to our learners to think differently about what school is and what it could be. If you're someone who is in a position of educational leadership where you aspire to be and you want to surround yourself with others doing the difficult but vital work of igniting school change, we invite you to join us in Modern Learners' newest community, Change Leaders. I'm Lynn Hilt, the Community Manager of CLC, and our space can help ensure you're using your professional learning time to the fullest. CLC offers carefully curated content to help you find signal among the noise, thought-provoking questions and discussions with inspiring community members who are serious about change, live events and access to the Modern Learners team, and a circle of critical friends who will help you kick off change efforts in your schools. Visit changeleaders.community and click subscribe to request your invitation to CLC. After doing so, we'll be in touch about how you can join in our movement, and we are so confident that you will find incredible value in making CLC your preferred learning destination that we offer a 30-day money-back guarantee. We look forward to continued learning with you. Well, hey, everyone. I'm Will Richardson, and thanks again for joining us on the Modern Learners Podcast. This week, my friend and colleague Bruce Dixon and I are back at it again, chatting about change, specifically the difference between technical change and adaptive change, as defined by Harvard's Ron Heifetz. And if you've listened to our conversations in the past, you know that we're always trying to zero in on the changes that are the hardest, the ones that require a reimagination of culture and our basic roles and values in terms of learning and students. And in this episode, we take a deep dive into what adaptive change requires, and it is not easy. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends. Head on over to iTunes, give us a review. And if you haven't already checked us out at Change School, head on over to change.school, where we're gearing up for our fifth cohort starting in June of 2018. But for now, hope you enjoy our conversation about Big C Change. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Anyway, how are you? Yeah, real good. Real good. How you been? It's good to see you back home. You've been uh, yeah. the world a bit. Home for four days. On a few continents. You Actually, yeah. you'll be on your fourth continent in four weeks, I think, next week. That's right. I'm going to really push the jet lag stuff to its extreme. Just got back from Switzerland, which was a great trip to Montreux, which was beautiful and had some great conversations. And I'm heading down your way. Make a, make a quick little stop over in Buffalo. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Go to Buffalo and then to Sydney. So, you know. Yeah, you can... And, uh, Shed the jumpers when you head there. Sorry, the sweaters when you head down this way. Well, I am looking forward because we got another couple inches of snow here today. So I am looking forward to getting out of this mess. And hopefully, uh, since I'm going to be down there in Singapore for a couple of weeks, by the time I get back, hopefully spring will have sprung here as well. But yeah, but anyway, good, yeah, good so talking we've, had, we've chatted and uh, we've had... Yeah, a- we've had some, a couple of podcasts with some pretty interesting people. And we got a couple more lined up for coming weeks. So yep. I think we're, we're moving away from boring people to death with our banter back and forth to actually having some intelligent conversations with people who know what they're talking about. So that's, <laughs> that's always that's, a good that's, thing. That's good interval. We can sort of, uh, <laughs> just fill in the gaps. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. So I was interested you know. in what you posted uh, now. It was, I think, three weeks ago. And when you had been down to South Africa, I think you'd met some people who had been helping you reflect on uh, the nature of change and what we mean by it and the impact it's having. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this, I think, on a podcast that we did and then beforehand. And then I also interviewed David Gleason and that podcast just dropped on, well, I guess yesterday. 
yep. so or a couple of days ago. So that's out there now. And it was just a really interesting conversation. But I think the piece that we didn't really talk about too much that maybe we can just play around with a little bit is this idea of the difference between technical change and adaptive change mm. and goes back to Ron Heifetz from Harvard and the way that he's kind of been framing change in, in terms of looking at what needs to happen when you're really trying to attack systemic stuff and how that's much more about changing cultures, changing people's worldview, changing people's sense of self-worth, which is all adaptive, as opposed to making technical changes that may dress up the current situation, but really don't change the underlying dynamics of what's happening. And I think you and I would both agree that most of the change that we see in schools is of a technical nature, not so much of an adaptive nature. Yeah. And you know, the part of the problem we have with this is, you've said this a number of times, I said in these podcasts and we say it in the newsletter, that most of what we talk about isn't new. And I mean, if that's the case, you know, maybe people say, I'm not quite sure or listen to this podcast, but we keep trying to bring it to people's attention that some pretty smart people beyond you and I, way beyond you and I, well, I'm just thinking when you were talking about Ron Heifetz's comments there, I mean, part of what you said was talking straight out of Akoff, right? Say so straight out of uh, Deming and Senge and all those guys. Carter. And what they're saying is stop playing around the edges. You know, if we don't get to the core of it all, if we don't get to those places that we try and go to with our friends in change school, we're only going to be playing around the edges and we're not going to see any substantive change. And we are going to then have people complaining about change fatigue because no matter what we think, and whether it's giving every kid a laptop or building a new building or changing the bell times, none of it really matters if we don't get to the foundations of it all. We don't get to the core of what people believe. And that's the problem because every time people get that sort of pointed down that direction, they seem to get shy, gun shy, and not want to go there. And just to finish, I think that the best example at the moment, the one that I'm seeing thrown up, almost what we call a technical change du jour, is gradeless. Now, you know, I think the notion of gradeless built into a, you know, a shift in the way that schools might look at assessment and whatever else is well worth considering. But just walking into the room and saying, next year we're going gradeless, doesn't really, it's just pointless. I would rather they didn't do it. And nowadays, and I mean, we used to say this a fair bit in the foundation, if you don't have any rationale and foundational beliefs on why you're going to give kids technology and go one-to-one or whatever, don't do it. Don't do it under any circumstances because you're going to waste a lot of money and a lot of time and people are just going to get frustrated with the whole process. One of the things that, that we talk about over and over and over again is this idea of doing the right thing versus doing yep. the wrong thing, right? And if you really want to get to the right thing, I mean, that's adaptive change, unfortunately, right? Yep. That's kind of the irony about it. You can't do the right thing in schools the way that we've been talking about it through technical shifts, through little technical steps that, you know, add a piece of technology here or change a curriculum there. It really is about, first of all, you know, just coming to terms with what the right thing is and then figuring out what the path is to getting there. And I think I mentioned this maybe in the last time we talked, but I have gotten to the point now where in my presentations, I just look at people and say, we're doing the wrong thing which I've never done before, right? And it, the, the reactions are really interesting. I mean, a lot of people I think are a little bit shocked when I say that, but I have a lot of people that come up afterwards and go, you're right, we're not doing the right thing. And again, David's work that is in the podcast has 
helped me clarify and helped us clarify that to a great extent. If we're really going to begin to think differently and pursue change at a, at a high bar level, that's all about culture. It's all about worth, our self-worth, the worth of schools. You know, as Seth Godin talked about on a podcast that we both listened to the other day, you know, what is the value of school? That's the big question. Why do schools matter today? And that's certainly, to get to the answer to that question, is certainly adaptive changes that we have to make, that we have to reconfigure in our heads what we think about ourselves, what we think our role is, and how we tell that story. So we've talked about this before, but surely also the reaction you must get when you're in South Africa or Switzerland or wherever you are, or, you know, and I've had it too, is when you lay that out there and say we're doing the wrong thing, people also get very defensive because their perception is basically you're criticising them for everything they've ever done and they're saying you're thinking what I do is wrong and worthless and what's the point? And they get very defensive about it. Oh, no doubt. And that's the hard part. And we go back again to another book that we both love by Robert Evans, which is The Human Side of School Change, where people go through a grief process. People go through the anger, the confusion, the uncertainty of what that all means when you challenge them on some deeply held beliefs around what their roles are, what the role of school is, you know, all those types of things. So, you know, it's not an easy conversation to have, and it's not an easy change to make. And I'm probably guessing that 90% of people who think about this seriously <laughs> probably think it's impossible. Yeah. You know, given the enormity of that challenge of taking 150 years of legacy thinking and, and traditional thinking in terms of yep. roles. I mean, and I do want to make the point, you know, and Audrey Waters wrote a great post about this again the other day, where she made the case that the people who are saying, like Betsy DeVos here in the States, our wonderful secretary of education. Great secretary. Who goes around saying that schools haven't changed in 100 years and schools haven't changed in schools. But that's just not true. I mean, schools have changed quite a bit in 100 years. I mean, in terms of the ways in which we teach the pedagogies that we have, the curriculum that we teach, the diversity in our schools, which wasn't there originally. Um, even though there's some arguments to be made that we're moving in the wrong direction on that here in the States. Yep. But it, the point is that there has been a lot of change, actually. And yep. these really aren't the schools of 100 years ago, yep. except, except for the narrative of the underlying or the overarching goal of school. I don't think that that's changed very much. And I think that that's really now what needs to change. We've made a lot of technical changes over the last hundred years that have made schools different places from where they used to be. Not so sure that we've made that fully adaptive change, though, where it is now a reckoning of what is our value, what is our role, why do we want kids in our classrooms, what is the role of the teacher, and all of those types of questions that are the that cut to the core. And again, I hate the fact that we repeat ourselves so much, but sometimes I think it's it's just people need to engage in these questions, these existential questions around, you know, what we're doing now. And it is because of what's happened in the last 15 years with specifically the internet and the web and how that just has changed fundamentally the ways that the value proposition of schools. So, and just by the way, I'll, I'll throw a question, if I can preview a question to you from Karen, who's obviously watching us live on Facebook. And I know a number of people listening, this is recording, but her question was, what resource do you all suggest educators who are disruptive use to gauge whether or not 
a learning community is a good fit for them? What hallmarks should they look for and what red flags should they stay away from? And just while you're having a think about that, I think it you highlighted it there. I mean, a lot of people say, why now? And no one's putting a stake in the ground and saying it should be 2018 or it should have been 1998 or whatever. What we do know, and it's now irrefutable, is that our world has changed dramatically. What we aren't able to do, and for many people aren't able to adapt to, is what that means for us in schools. So, you know, 20 years ago, people would argue the toss about whether the change we were going through in our world with, say, the arrival of the internet was going to have a dramatic impact on what we should be doing in schools. Now it's irrefutable whether you want to VUCA it with, you know, volatility, uncertainty, ambiguity and uh, complexity. doesn't matter. There is a world out there that we have to help young people become competent in and, you know, part of and successful in their own lives. And to do that, we certainly need to think, rethink the way that we structure the learning environment for them. So in really simple terms, we're trying to move from a traditional teaching culture to a modern learning culture. I don't think it's any simpler than that. And to do that, you know, means both those words in both those statements. We have to let go of a lot of what we've seen as tradition and a lot of our focus that has been all around teaching. And we have to move to a notion of what learning should look like in the modern world. Now, that shouldn't be threatening to people. It shouldn't be intimidating. We're not trying to say tomorrow your world will change. What we're simply saying is commit. Commit to making a shift in practice. Commit to rethinking your practice. Commit to examining the assumptions you make about what you do with kids. And I think that's what really matters. I think Karen's question is a really good one, by the way. And, you know, where she says, what resources or how do we gauge whether or not a learning community is a good fit? I think... You know, in the schools that I've been into, and and you can chime in here too, because I know you've been to a number of them as well. You know, what we see is a place where innovation is encouraged, where risk-taking is something that is expected, where you're not supposed to know all the answers, but you're supposed to pursue really interesting questions as a teacher, where it's an R&D culture almost, because the expectation is, is that we are constantly changing. We are constantly iterating. We are in, as Harold Jarkey says, perpetual beta. And basically, the only way that you work through that is to not rest on what you think you know, but constantly challenge what you think you know. And to create different experiences, different environments, different cultures that support this idea of movement, that it's not stasis, right? We're not just sitting still and resting. We're constantly engaged in moving forward. So, I mean, those cultures that we see, I mean, and you can tell when you walk into a school if that culture exists. You can see it, you can feel it, and there's just a vibe and a buzz that this is a place where everyone is learning and where everyone is not just supported, but is expected to continually pushing their own thinking, pushing their own experience and practice. It's the difference between leadership and management, right? Management is making sure the ship runs smoothly and that, you know, we don't get into any big trouble or head for the rocks or whatever metaphor works, right? But leadership really is saying, look, we got to keep the ship moving. We have to constantly navigate and we have to constantly try to figure out what a better path is or what a better course is for whatever destination we're trying to get to. And it also, by the way, the work of leadership is to keep redefining the destination. And that requires, like I said, a learning culture, not just a teaching culture. But I know, you know, you've probably experienced that too as well. 
Absolutely. And I think you go back to, and you've made this comment several times, and it's implicit in our 10 Principles white paper, you know, the big shifts that we have to face up to are our agency and inquiry. Now, if you take those head on and, and you try and make a reference, link them back to Karen's question as well, when you mentioned about supporting an innovation, allowing people to make mistakes, to fail, to fall over, you know, building an inquiry environment within a classroom is not an easy task. If you're a grade five teacher, you're a grade 11 math teacher, and someone comes along and says, you know, what are you doing to provide learner agency and, and how are you enabling and making that possible with an inquiry pedagogy? That's like climbing a mountain, a very tall mountain. That's a big ask. And there is no way you can walk into your grade five classroom tomorrow and all of a sudden make that shift. And I think that I fully understand how people can be intimidated by that idea. So I think if you're a leader in a school and, you know, you are looking for this journey, which is going to take you, as we've often said, you know, a number of years, you've got to map it out because for a start of it requires a different culture in respect of practice. It requires a much more open, transparent sharing culture. It usually means that you're going to cluster teachers in certainly elementary and middle schools together, if not across the whole, the whole K-12. Therefore, you're going to have people sharing their practice very openly, and a lot of teachers are very uncomfortable about that, at least initially. And I think that it's very difficult for people to start thinking about that sort of dramatic shift in their practice when they've, for five or 10 or 20 years, been lonely artisans in their classroom, four walls, and what they do inside the classroom is between them and their kids. And so, therefore, if you're saying to someone, hang on, we're going to basically shift the way, you know, this happens, and we want to see a shift, we want you to enable agency for these kids. I mean, we had this discussion on Zoom last night, didn't we, within Change School, and someone was saying, yeah, but how do I do that? I mean, what does that actually mean? You know, I mean, I know I have to be, you know, more challenged, ask questions, and I have to help kids explore ideas, but, you know, there's not a recipe for it. There's a lot of guidance that'd be given. But you can go in and do this and you can have chaos in your classroom. Well, guess what? If you have chaos in your classroom and you learn why you had chaos in your classroom for that lesson or for the day or for the week and you had someone there with you reflecting on it and what you would do, that's called learning, you know? You're shifting your practice and that's what has to happen. And that's why I think, you know, people are much happier to say, look, I'm going to stay my little lonely artist in my classroom, but I'm going gradeless or I'm going to give every kitty a little laptop, but I'm going to stay inside here and I'm going to continue traditionally practising the way I always have. So when we talk about that culture of change and supporting perpetual beta and taking risks and supporting innovation, you know, it, it implies some real action. It's not theoretical. We're not talking about this at a sort of helicopter level, hoping that you no know, change will happen. It means you have to get down and dirty and be serious about supporting practice, a change in practice with teachers. You know, it's interesting too, because I'm thinking about a session that I did when I was in Switzerland with about 25 leaders, heads, international school heads from across the country and some other countries in Europe. But because we went and, as we always do, had started out with this conversation around, well, let's just turn to one another and define learning. And after, you know, three or four minutes, I said, so how many people, when they turned to the person next to them, had the same definition? Nobody raise their hands. And then we talked about some of the things that came up. And I said, did anybody say, and there was no real consensus at all about what learning was in the room. And I was just like, so what are the consequences of that? What are the effects 
of not being clear and coherent around that word. And so it does speak again to the question about culture, right? If you're creating a learning culture, but you're not sure what learning is, I mean, is it possible to even create a learning culture in that context? Yeah. Can, can you even get there if you don't have some ongoing conversations around what that is and how it happens? And Which makes yeah. reference to Karen's question, which that's is... That's what I'm saying, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's one of the indicators. Are you talking about what that word means? Is it something that's a regular conversation? And, you know, I wrote a very snarky post today that I went up on Facebook and LinkedIn, <laughs> where I basically said, you know, if you believe that learning is making sure kids prepare for tests and that you are using pacing guides, that it happens through pacing guides in the curriculum and that, you know, kids are sitting in rows, that's fine. But then say that, put that on your website right? Make that a part of your motto. You know, I think I used the example Abe Lincoln High School, where success on tests leads to success in life or something like that, right? Own it. <laughs> Just own that belief. Yeah. I'm telling you, if people really took the time to look and think about what their beliefs are and the gap between what they believe in practice, and if they really highlighted practice, they'd be embarrassed, I think, by what the message is by the practices that they are, you know, that they're pursuing in their schools and classrooms. Okay. So it does all kind of come back to that again. Can we please just have this conversation? I wanted when Betsy DeVos was on with 60 Minutes the other night, even in Australia, I'm sure she got some airtime and oh, yeah. she struggled. She struggled. Yeah. She would have really struggled with the question. So, Betsy, what do you think learning is? How do you define it? I can't even imagine what would have come out of her mouth at that point, because I'm sure it's not something that she has clearly articulated. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. something that. Well, and now, by the way, Randy Ziegenfuss has just joined us. Uh, great to Randy on live. As always, we also uh, refer to uh, Randy's podcast is a, a great listen for people yep. who already subscribed to that as well. But it was interesting because at the same time, you've got a secretary of a federal secretary of education and our state uh, minister for education here was also very proudly on television talking about how many more schools he was going to build. So he had lots of talk about property and buildings and it's marvellous really because I think to, just to put a balance on what we were saying about the need for adaptive, a commitment to adaptive change, we also do recognise the impact that teachers who are committing to this in many ways, in a bit of an island within a school, because many of the parents who they're surrounded by and, and colleagues, but particularly the parents and the wider community, have no understanding about what we're talking about. They, in their back of the minds, might think, hmm, there's a lot of stuff going on out here in the world. I wonder how school's responding. But by and large, as we said, and everyone knows, people judge, you know, the way school should be by the way it was for them. And therefore, it's difficult for teachers when you've got a number of parents who just love the idea that, you know, they've got good test scores. or And so you, you're also moving not only against your natural intuition of, hey, I want to hang on to what I'm comfortable, but you've also got people around you saying, yeah, this is okay. You know, I quite like this, what you're doing for my kids. You have to stand up and have the courage of your beliefs the courage of your convictions and say, you know what, for these reasons, we need to rethink the way we're developing and producing and presenting a learning environment for kids. And we need to really rethink carefully about the way that kids are engaging with each other and the world around them. I don't know that, I can't say it's going to be easy because a lot of parents will push back. 
they need to be as well informed. And that's why just to slip a, one of those overt plugs in for Change School, you know, in this week in Change School, we talk about telling a new story. That has to be part of it. You can't in isolation just as a teacher decide, oh, by the way, I think I'll just, you know, take this on because I think it's what I should be doing. It has to be shared practice. It has to be also shared with the wider community. And adaptive change leads people to the yeah buts, right? I think technical changes are doable because they don't really force you to reconsider or reimagine the work that you're doing. But when you start talking about the things we're talking about, and this came up again in Switzerland, you know, a lot of people asking questions, but, you know, we've got these parents or, but the policies or, you know, we're an IB school or, you know, we've got all these other things. And I wish I'd listened to Seth Godin's podcast before I'd gotten into that session because he said something really interesting that I'm going to be using from here on out when people bring up the butts, right? And he said, you got to get them to change it or you have to change it from, I want to do this or we need to make these changes, but parents are really going to push back to, we need to make these changes and parents are really going to push back. Yeah. Which is just this very subtle shift in the language from but to and, but but it's just acknowledging that you're going to do what you say you do despite the fact that these other kind of external conditions exist. It's not saying, but as in, you know, but I really can't do this because this exists. So it's like, yeah, we need to rethink and reimagine our work in schools and parents aren't going to like that. And it's probably not going to fit with policy and it's going to take us some time and people are not going to be happy about this. So what? doesn't mean we're not going to do it. And my kind of flip response to a lot of people who bring these up, and these are serious concerns. We're not making these, you know, hopefully, and no one's hearing us say that these aren't deeply rooted and that they aren't serious issues. But I always look at people and I say, well, you got eight years. Can you do it? Can you change the narrative in your school in eight years? Can you change the way that parents expect from classrooms in eight years? I just can't imagine that you can't, if you are coherent and consistent and committed and you know what your vision and mission are and you're working in those ways that you can do it and we've seen schools that have done it and that are doing it and you know i think that's a, just an interesting twist we can do this work it's excruciatingly painfully hard but it can be done and if your why is important enough and compelling enough you'll figure out how to do it over time and you know that's i think sometimes difficult message for people to hear but i think when they consider it, they kind of go, yeah, you're probably right. If we believe this deeply enough, we'll find a way. Well, it's interesting too, uh, Will. Randy added to your comment there by saying, you know, leaders need to take on the messiness of addressing these concerns. Too many leaders don't want to. uh, Too much work. Easier. Too busy with bell schedules and subject allocations and yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, that's right. It's not that we're having a shot. It's just a simple fact of life that, you know, we do know that, you know, we work with the numbers of schools that are taking on this challenge and they're on a journey. And it's not just change for its own sake. I mean, part of our issue we have with, you know, we say to people, we talk about change school, people think we're changing for its own sake. No, it's, a, it's about this notion of modern learning. And I'm assuming that, Karen, if you haven't already got to, uh, had been able to download our our 10 principles of modern learning, schools for modern learning, I hope you do, because, you know, that's really what it's about. It's about this vision we have for modern learning for our young people and preparing them for the world that they're going to be living in. And we can't do that by hanging on to legacy practice for its own sake. And Jesse, I love the comment you've got there. Align beliefs with action. 
you know, the new ABA for education. So, you know, that's a great, I like that. great tag. Can we steal that? Can, can, can we, we steal can, that? Can we use that? that? That'll be a... <laughs> We're getting a lot of Facebook interaction, Bruce. That's this right. is You must have more followers than you will. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Well, mate, I, that's an interesting conversation. And I think it's obviously something we're going to revisit as we move forward, because it's always something that's on our minds in terms of how we make these changes happen and how we build language around those changes that that is consistent and that hopefully helps people understand the magnitude. Just for reference to the previous podcast and the book you made mention of, Will, what were they again? So David Gleason's At What Cost, like I said earlier, that podcast came out yesterday. It's on at modernlearners.com slash blog. It's the top post. And you can also obviously subscribe to our podcasts in iTunes. But it's a pretty powerful interview that has gotten already some interesting reactions on Twitter when I tweeted it out. Some people just saying, this is the stuff that we need to be talking about. And it's serious stuff. I mean, it's it's not something to be taken lightly. So and just interesting. While, while you make mention of it, I think it was the previous week we had Peter Hutton's interview. Podcast. Peter Hutton's interview. Yeah. That was, that was with a head of a school, former head of a school, took on a school that was incredibly challenged, a couple of hundred enrollments for a school built for a thousand and over a period of about five to seven years, uh, has been managed to turn it around and uh, take on many of the challenges that we've been talking about. And it's always important for us that people don't think we're, you know, talking at a theoretical level that we are working, you know, every week with schools that are doing this work and they're on the journey. And uh, hopefully, you know, you've got uh, ideas and references from the work that we're doing that you can take and make actionable in your school. Well, mate, uh, maybe next podcast we'll be together in the same room, oh, making it live yeah. on Facebook. We should just schedule that right now. Saturday, it's well, sometime, not this Saturday, but a week from Saturday. Well, we'll have to do one in between this and, and that right. date. Yeah. We'll find some pub in Sydney with Wi Fi and we'll have a. We'll, we'll make it more interesting. Our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mate. Great talking to you, Bruce. Cheers, man. Bye. Cheers. Bye.